Hey dudes, this is The Big Game. I'm your host, Justin Hargett. And today on the show, we are talking about Ronda Rousey's incredible 34-second title defense against Beth Correa at UFC 190. Ronda continues to prove that she is not only the most dominant, but the most versatile and willing-to-adapt fighter working in mixed martial arts today. If you haven't seen this fight yet, I, I highly recommend you go check out a video of this online. It's only 34 seconds. It won't take you very long at all. And it is just so much fun to watch Ronda Rousey be an efficient fighting genius. Joining me on the show today is Amy Rose. She is an attorney and a jiu-jitsu practitioner. I think she is auditioning for the role of Daredevil in the next reboot of that comic book series. And we are going to talk about Ronda Rousey's incredible performance at UFC 190. We'll bring a little backstory to the hype of the fight, who said what, who proved what in the ring, and we'll also answer the age-old question of, if Ronda Rousey was a band, what band would she be? This episode of The Big Game is dedicated to the memory of Rowdy Roddy Piper, who passed away over the weekend. Roddy Piper's charisma influenced millions of young TV-addicted minds, such as myself, in the 80s. And he also lent his nickname to Ronda Rousey. I highly recommend you go listen to his two-part interview with Colt Cabana on the Art of Wrestling podcast to learn a little bit about his life before, during, and after the WWF. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Amy, welcome to The Big Game. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me. So we're here to talk today about Ronda Rousey's incredible 34-second fight from Saturday night where she defeated Beth Correa at UFC 190 in Brazil in Correa's home country to defend her bantamweight championship. This was, uh, I was kind of expecting her to bring the judo background that she has to this fight and maybe see it, I don't know if I bought into the hype too much and I was kind of expecting Ronda to quote unquote torture Beth um, as, as she has been saying she would for the last couple months. And right. so I kind of really expected this to go on the ground and maybe last at least a couple of minutes. But what did you think of this 34 second knockout? Yeah, it was a really surprising approach. I mean, I think that a lot of people were hoping and waiting for her to just go for the throw to the arm bar or display some of her judo skills. But <laughs> I, I wonder if she was trying to prove a point, uh, like a point about her striking. I think Beth Correa is historically a striker, so she was kind of maybe meeting her at her game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that from what little I know about MMA, and I think you, uh, what is it, you do you do kickboxing and? Well, I, I mostly do jujitsu. Mostly, um, so I think I think you probably have a better understanding of kind of more of what was happening in the ring than I did. Where I was, I think I, I've watched boxing for a lot longer, so I was I was kind of ready to to see the striking, and then I, I tried to do a little catch up research on Ronda, and I watched basically all of her fights in yeah. the course of like half an hour because it doesn't take long. Yeah, it doesn't yet. take very long. Um, so I was kind of anticipating that, that going to the ground, but I think you're right. I think she just kind of came out ready to punch and, and she's a really good puncher. Yeah. And, and she was standing so wide. And I think there, there even was an opportunity when Beth Correa fell to the ground, when runner out, could have completely capitalized on that moment. 
Um, but she didn't. She just waited for her to get back up again. So I think there was something to it. She's definitely trying to prove a point, maybe about her knockout power, which is a rare. It's a rare for a, a woman thus far in the UFC to have that kind of knockout power. Yeah, and I think it's it's it's. I mean, it's the same in men's too. Is that the heavier the heavier the fighter, the uh, the more likely that KOs come just because of the power of the punches. Were you surprised at the knockout punch itself? Did you kind of? I mean. We were talking about this a little bit beforehand. You know, I was at a bar for about six hours drinking before the fight started. And then kind of everyone, the energy was like really ramped up in the bar and everybody was, you know, shouting and excited. And, and kind of it looked, it looked really strong. Ronda looked really strong. And then that initial, like on, on first viewing, it seemed, seemed really powerful. But then kind of on replay, it didn't seem like it was that much. How did you feel like as that moment was happening? Yeah, I know what you mean. I felt the same way when I was watching it. I watched that punch like everyone else, and I watched Beth Correa hit the ground, and I thought, like, what a punch. But then, like you, I, I rewatched it today, and it looked like just one in a series, and it looked like she just caught her with a bunch of really fast punches. I don't know if it was where it hit her directly on the temple. I don't know if that's what did it. And I don't know if she was shaken from having fallen down and then gotten back up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was, I think, I, I was curious too about getting punched in the temple. I, I would say I was curious about getting punched in the temple is, and how, you know, it's a sensitive part of your head. It's probably one of the most sensitive parts of your head. Uh, and my guess is that just a quick, strong punch to the temple will, will put you down pretty easily. Yeah, I guess it must be, but it, there's something also surprising about it. I don't know, there, it, it looked like just a bunch of, of punches, and it was hard to tell which one was the... I mean, you could tell which one knocked her down, but it, it didn't look like a huge punch. The only thing I could maybe think is that, because uh, it was kind of like a one-two combo that put her down, right? Like a right and a left. Yeah. Um, and it looked like maybe the first one pushed her head also up against the oh, fence the- a little bit of the octagon. Yeah. And so then maybe there was just like a little bit more of a jarring thing that is not quite visible on the replay. Yeah. I mean, they, they both came in, like they both, Seemed like they were both kind of charging in, ready to strike. Were you surprised at how how easily Ronda put Beth on 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 the back heel? I mean, especially with kind of I, w- I want to get to this next as kind of the hype of the fight and how much we kind of bought into it. But were you surprised with how much ease she had, just dictating the pace right off the bat? Really, I was really surprised because what I thought was going to happen, I had heard some of the pre-fight chatter, and I had thought that the plan for Beth Correa was to not charge in because uh, then she was going to get tossed. Um, so then maybe that's why Ronda did charge in. And getting, uh, getting tossed would mean leading to being on the ground and possibly being exposed and, and being put into the arm bar very quickly? Yeah. The, 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 um, well, I can't even say this anymore, but I was going to say the strongest part of Ronda Rousey's game is her judo. She was an Olympic judo player. She won a bronze um, and, and tossing is is just like shorthand for saying judo throw which is mm-hmm. how yeah how she gets somebody uh perfectly lined up for an arm bar which is also part of judo and jujitsu so yeah you just expect her it's like a hip toss that she does people land where right where they don't want to land that's mm-hmm. how she set it up to break misha tate's arm and her other arm bar wins have all been set up by a great toss it's almost disappointing too i think in a sense that we didn't get to see that just because i bet I mean, I'd be curious to see the ratings on this and the numbers. I don't know if those are public or if UFC releases those, but it feels like 
the momentum behind Ronda Rousey is just building and building and building. And it yeah. seemed like this one was really at a at a bit of a boiling point or maybe like a tipping point. Um, so so it, it would have been really interesting to see kind of that, maybe just a slightly longer, more full-fledged, you know, true mixed martial arts fight instead of like, I mean, honestly, it reminded me of those very, very early Mike Tyson fights where yeah. everybody tunes in and then if you, you know, if you get up to grab a beer at the beginning, <laughs> then it's over and you miss the whole thing. What it felt like for me a little bit is when you go see a band and you want them to play the hits. <laughs> and instead they play some new stuff that you don't want to hear. Uh, and <laughs> but, you're still, but you're still excited to see them because they're your favorite them. band. I still think they're a great band. And the new stuff is maybe going to grow on you, but you wish they had just played the hits. Yeah. If Ronda Rousey was a band, what band would she be? It's hard not to say she would be Joan Jett um, because of her walkout song. <laughs> um, but I don't know. That's a great question. She has a, she has a bad attitude, but it, a lot of it is like very calculated bad attitude and hype. She's a huge WWE fan. Mm-hmm. And she takes a lot from that culture and brings it to the UFC with her trash talking and she said very publicly that she wants to be the heel you know she wants to be the she wants to be booed right Uh, I don't know what what band do you think that that would describe oh wanting to be the heel I want to say this would be like the I, I feel like she could be I think she'd be like a really snotty punk rock band yeah like one that just like doesn't give a shit yeah if you like the way they sound or not Right, and maybe they're very technically good, um, but you're not sure you would want to hang out with them after the show. But I think that's crazy, though. I, it's crazy to me that she wants to be the heel, and because I, th- I think everybody just like wants to love her and like just like like so supportive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't know. I think she's very clever in that way. I think she knows that it takes a lot to make people want to watch a women's fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she she tries a lot of different kind of hype tricks to get people interested. Well, yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's talk about the hype then. Uh, you said you read her autobiography, so you're very yeah, familiar my, with, with her story. It's the title of it, yeah. And so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to the last big fight I covered on here, which was the Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao. And I think Floyd Mayweather is actually the epitome of what, what you're saying Rondo wants to be, is this guy that everybody paid, you know, 50, 60 bucks to watch, just hoping that he would get destroyed, right? Yeah. But, but this fight didn't have that narrative at all. In fact, it had, you know, uh, the challenger kind of coming off as, as uh, insensitive and rude and just kind of like a terrible human being. And so you're, everyone was just, you know, hoping that Rhonda would come in and kick the shit out of her. But can you can you give us a little bit of that backstory from what what she said in her own words? Yeah, I, I think Beth Coria had said something about Ronda R- Rousey's dad. I have to tell you that I ha- I feel a little bit conspiracy theorist about this whole <laughs> because who says something mean about someone's dad? It's so specific. Like I don't know if it, in Brazil they have like your daddy jokes, but, <laughs> but I think. In most cultures, that's not the go-to insult. Yeah. I, I, I forget what it was that she said specifically, but she said something insulting about Ronda Rousey's dad. I think it was something like he's going to want to kill himself after the fight. Or I don't know if you remember specifically, but it was. I think it was something like that. I think. I think she said she hopes that she doesn't 
kill herself after Beth defeats her. Oh, okay. First, okay. Then maybe then I then I imputed the dead part because Ronda Rousey's dead had committed suicide. So maybe it was just that it was so insensitive to say something about. Suicide. Yeah, and then and then she claims later that, and then that's funny that you say that because I think I think Beth Correa later claimed that she didn't know right about right. about Ronda's family history and. She, and that this is just something that they say in Brazil, which is just ridiculous. Right. I guess any of these insults sound so specific and ridiculous. Why would you kill yourself after a fight? It doesn't make any sense. And also, um, and, and like it, it doesn't make sense in a, and I think in a fight promotion sense. I mean, unless she's getting a huge cut of, of the pay-per-view, but I don't think she is. Yeah, I, I don't. I can't imagine she is. It just seemed uh, something about the hype seemed didn't seem genuine to me, and I have no no reason or basis for thinking that whatsoever. But I wonder if if someone said to them both like, start insulting each other and hype this fight. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I think that's that's probably exactly what happened actually. Yeah, because it, it was just whatever it was. I, I guess I misremembered it, but I remember thinking like. This is, this is a, the dumbest insult, and no one would ever say this. Because wouldn't she say, like, I'm going to kill you in the ring? Or, I don't know. Yeah, something just more, yeah, something more con- concrete. Like, I'm, I'm going to embarrass you. Or, or, or something. Yeah, just, it's, so, it's so ridiculous. But what I, liked, what I liked is I think Ronda Rousey is actually really good at taunting. You know what I mean? So they, they both come to the weigh-in the day before the fight, I think. And uh, Ronda is just silent, standing there, like, very strong, staring her down. And Beth Gray is just, like, running her mouth. And apparently she's saying over and over again, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Uh, which, which, again, is another weird thing to say. I don't, like... Actually, that one would be what you would say to Ronda Rousey, because what I've learned about her in her book is that she's a very easy crier, and that she cries all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she cries during practices, and she cries if she gets frustrated. And, and actually, I... I remember that too from the season of the Ultimate Fighter, where she was one of the coaches. Um, mm. She did cry all the time, so that I think that actually is what you would say to her to get in her head. Interesting. I like that. Well, and then so then what she does is she turns it around, and after she puts her on the mat in 34 seconds, she she walks up to Beth Correa and she says, "Don't cry," and that's yeah. just that's cold. It's that's pretty, cold. Yeah, it's pretty great showmanship. <laughs> and then you know what I just saw today is that apparently Ronda Rousey has been cast. In the right, movie of her life, yes, to yeah. play herself, and no one, no one else could could play her. Um, yeah, the, it's a, the autobiography is just a lot about her uh, judo background. Her mom was a, a judo on the USA team, also I think, and like raised her in judo. And she like went away from high school to go stay with somebody else to learn judo. It, in some, in certain ways, it reminded me of the Andre Agassi biography. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever read that, but it's similar, like a a parent singular focus on a sport like lived through their child um, right. you know, right. kind of stories. Yeah, or also Tiger Woods, too. I mean, the, his dad puts a golf club in his hand at, you know, the age of two or whatever, and he's and he's just basically... And, and you know, we all see how well that story has played out. Right. Uh, so I guess be, be careful how far you push your children, but uh, so far it seems that everything's going Rondo's way. And yeah. I don't know why I thought this, but as soon as I saw that she was playing herself in the movie, the first thing I thought of was uh, Eight Mile, where Eminem plays in a very Eminem-y character. But that, I feel like that's a great example of that turning out pretty well. So maybe it could be good. I hope she raps in it, though. Yeah, 
That would be great. A rap battle. <laughs> um, let's let's talk quickly about the undercard of UFC 90, UFC 190. Like I said, I well, f- let's start here. Where did you where did you watch the fight? Where did you take it in? I watched the fight at uh, Sweetwater, which is a bar on Broadway and Bleecker, and it's right across the street from where I do jujitsu. And everybody from my jujitsu gym was there, drinking way more than they normally would. And now, were you guys the only fans there, or was the bar packed with with other patrons too, come, coming to see the fight? I think it was pretty much just us. Um, it's hard to find a nice bar in which to take in a UFC fight, as you found. Yeah, so I, I, I was telling you, I had to... Usually I go to this place called The Public House in Los Feliz, uh, which, which is great. It has like 8 million TV screens. It's where I watched the Manny Pacquiao fight. Um, I had to pay like a 20 or $30 cover to get into that one. But for whatever reason, they just... I guess they don't show UFC fights or, or this particular one they weren't that interested in. Um, so I had to take the uh, the subway, and you know this is not this is not the New York subway. This is the LA subway. It's a little bit different, and go to Hollywood to a place called Big Wangs, and <laughs> Big Wangs is not a strip club, uh, but it is is a a chicken wing joint with with lots of TVs and sports on, and it was only a five dollar cover, which I really liked. But it meant that if I wanted to sit there and have a seat while I watched the fight, I had to get there like super early. So I was there for like six hours, and I watched almost every fight on the undercard. And were there a lot of other, like, was it packed with fans? Oh, yeah, it was packed. This place was packed. So that's why I was kind of surprised when you said that that your bar was kind of just your jiu-jitsu class. Yeah. I forget what I've watched. I've watched UFC fights at, at a few other bars around the city, and in general, it's not the bar where you'd want to hang out or where you can get any kind of interesting beer. Do you think that says something about the sport of UFC? Like, how do you... Do you think that it's perceived differently, maybe, than, than boxing? Or Yeah, I do. I think that boxing has boxing has some, some more of a reputation as a thinking man's sport. I mean, Joyce Carol Oates writes about boxing, you know, but she mm-hmm. doesn't about UFC. I mean, I, I said that. I haven't looked into it, but I'm pretty sure she doesn't. But... Um, <laughs> I think I you've think, just inspired her next, her next <laughs> book. Uh, but I, I think it might be changing. I don't know if you've seen, but Vice has a MMA, a MMA sub-site called Fightland, mm-hmm. where it's like these more thoughtful, interesting pieces about MMA. So I, I think it might be changing. And actually, one, there was an article in Vice about a guy going around to bars in Brooklyn to watch UFC fights and how now, apparently, in Brooklyn, you can see the fights at more normal bars where you would hang out with interesting beers and things like that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, uh, I've i been reading Deadspin a lot. I mean, I've been reading Deadspin forever, but I've noticed recently as we were kind of preparing for this podcast that they've been covering the UFC very well uh, for probably the last three or four months, just writing very smart, very critical pieces. Um, they did one recently about the Reebok sponsorship and how, you know, basically in an effort to quote-unquote legitimize UFC uh, and, you know, kind of have this established, you know, non-sponsors all over, you know, the shorts and shirts and everything, just have just one single Reebok logo. Um, They're actually taking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars away from the fighters and sponsorships. Um, And so I'd highly recommend anyone go read these articles on Deadspin. That one, uh, as well as the one about 
them ending their relationship with a cut man who kind of just spoke yeah. out against yeah. that, which is totally yeah. surprising. Name is cut man. Mm. So yeah, so I mean, it's still such a young sport, but how do you yourself, you know, kind of wrestle with with this, you know, no pun intended, yeah. of of the brutality of UFC and and being a mixed martial arts fan? Yeah, that's a it's a hard part of it. I don't when I meet new people, I do not lead. Uh, with my UFC <laughs> fandom, and it still is something that a lot of people find odd about me as a normal functioning adult woman. And, and uh, lawyer. Lawyer, mother, uh, <laughs> UFC fan. But I think, and, and, I, and I understand because there is, there is a brutality to it, and I do think it, in some ways it, do, it does seem more violent than boxing um but i think there's a a lot of really cool things about it um especially the more i've learned about muay thai and jujitsu and you know it's got a lot of fans that love this the sport the sport of it like anthony bourdain and his wife are huge ufc fans um and um and of course joe rogan mm-hmm. um, but it's the for me what i'm always hoping to see is just great Technical grappling, great jujitsu, you know, great Muay Thai. What I hate seeing, and what I think a lot of maybe what holds it back from being having more mainstream appeal, is the ground and pound. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just gross, and it seems senseless and unnecessary. But I, I don't know how it could. I don't know if the UFC could exist without it. And I don't, also don't know if I'm an outlier. And if you pulled all the normal UFC fans if they're all saying more ground and pound, less jujitsu. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you might be onto something there because I was trying to kind of channel, you know, I, I remember watching the very first UFC pay-per-views or, or, or getting like the DVDs from like the really, really early ones in the 90s and just kind of being titillated at this, you know, very severe brutality. Um, yeah. And I remember those early ones were much more violent than they are now. And I think... Like you're saying, I think the sport has matured and adapted and become more technical and proficient, but you still have fights like the one that was in the undercard, Pat Cummins versus Rafael Cavalcante, uh, which went almost three entire five-minute rounds, which was probably about 12 minutes of Pat Cummins having two black eyes and bleeding profusely from the nose all over his opponent. And it... It was hard to watch, and I and I couldn't help but cringe. And I kind of look around, and no one else really seemed to have a problem with it. And that was kind of just one of the fights where, I'm like, th- I felt like this was the appeal that the UFC had for me when I was 15, and I don't think it holds anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas I I, w- I did really enjoy watching all of the Ronda Rousey fights that I found online, and and this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous, but I did really like watching her break Misha Tate's arm because that was just insanity. Yeah, and that, and that was great technical. I mean, even though that is also gross, yeah. there's great technical jiu-jitsu or judo, I guess in her case, judo. But yeah, I, I think like those early UFCs, it was a to- kind of a totally different thing because it was just like a contest to see what the best fight style was. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, is it boxing or is it wrestling? And then you would fight to figure it out. I think that was the philosophy, at least between, behind UFC 1. Yeah, and, definitely. And then it evolved into now mixed martial arts is its own 
like the a lot of the fighters that are fighting now train mixed martial arts, which came into existence, I think, largely because of the UFC. And it, and it ends up being, for most fighters, a mixture of Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu with some wrestling, some boxing. I think that's what's cool about Ronda Rousey is that judo and boxing are her main features. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, so I guess there is still a question of what's the best fight style, like what's the most efficient fight style. But It's kind of interesting, though, because it, is it really, like the, the very simple, I think, answer is all of them. Like right. if, you, if you're in a fight with somebody, you know, it kind of, I guess maybe depending on their weight or their style or whatever, like you have to be able to adapt. And so the more you know, the more technical you can be you know, the, the better of a fighter you'll be, the more you'll win. And then that it just logically makes sense that you would evolve this, you know, specific style where you can kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah. I think um, there's also little trends that go through the UFC. Like I remember a few years ago, it was all low kicks, but everybody was winning their fights by just eating away at the other person with a series of low kicks to the calf. And can you, then can you break that down a little bit for us more? Because there, I, I saw a lot of that in the undercard yeah. and I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite pinpoint how it was going to be effective. Yeah. I think that maybe I, I should say I'm, I'm no expert, but I think that the low kick is a little bit like a jab in boxing in that it, you're not going to bring somebody down with a single low kick, but you can chip away at them and, and really hurt their knee. And if you look at some pictures of fighters' legs after they've been chipped away at with a lot of low kicks, their knees look like basketballs. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it does lasting damage. Um, but you could see that it would be a good strategy because you, can, you don't have to get too close right. to throw a low kick. And if you throw a high kick and you miss, or if the person catches it, you can easily be taken down. Mm-hmm. Um, but the low kick maybe is a little bit lower risk. That was like a trend for at least a few years ago. It seemed like every fight was just low kicks. And maybe it is something like more on the undercard. Maybe it's something you work with when you're more junior in the UFC. I don't know. But in some ways, I think the like series of low kicks makes for a boring fight. But I think a cool thing about mixed martial arts is that then people have to find the answer to the low kick. You know, if that's what's going to be happening to them, they have to figure out how to check it which is like when you pick up your leg and block it with the hard right. part chin, or maybe there are some takedowns you can do from a low kick. I don't know, but I, I think that's a cool thing about watching a sport evolve so rapidly before your eyes. Yeah, there's, there's a great book called Inverting the Pyramid, which is the story of tactics in soccer and how basically formations have evolved over the last you know 150 years of the sport. And... You know, that's that's you see these trends all of the time. I mean, you see them in the NBA too, certain styles of offense. But basically, how how soccer went from a sport that had basically one goalie and ten attacker and forwards to you know much more diversified. You know, uh, you have the, pretty much the same number of defenders as you do attackers at all times, so that it's more cohesive and makes more sense. And I guess that's just sports kind of. As soon as somebody finds the edge, you know, the other guy finds the way to counter it, and then the sport evolves, and that just becomes one more aspect of it. Um, so yeah. that's cool that we kind of get to see it now at this early stage. I mean, you know, basically MMA's only been around for 20 years, uh, and so who knows how, which, which way, which direction it'll go. Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. Um, so are you looking forward to, 
I think this is, I don't think it's been announced yet, but I think everyone's pretty much saying this is going to be the next Ronda Rousey fight. Is her third fight with Misha Tate, who we've already mentioned. Uh, Ronda Rousey's defeated her twice, once in Strike Force, which is a, a different league than the UFC, uh, and then once in UFC. And she's the only opponent that's taken Ronda out of the first round. Right, and, and I think it's a cool thing about Misha Tate is that she, I think she always says that she would fight Ronda, you know, anywhere, anytime, that she always takes those fights. Of course I'll watch it, and of course I'll be excited about it, but it's just, it's hard to picture anybody beating Ronda Rousey, and it's hard to picture Misha Tate doing it, too. She is a great fighter, it's just, when you watch these other fighters in fights against someone other than Ronda Rousey, they look great, but Mm. when you watch them against Ronda Rousey, they, they don't stand a chance. Do you, think, can, do you think you can maybe identify, like, what, I mean, I, we're all trying to do this, but what is it exactly about Rhonda that is so remarkable? I watched this video of her, I don't know if you're familiar with BJ Penn. Mm-mm. He was an Earl, uh, he, he retired relatively recently, but he, he was, he's called the Prodigy. He's one of the, the greatest UFC fighters of all time. He's called the Prodigy because he achieved his black belt in jiu-jitsu, I think, faster than anybody else. Uh, has ever achieved their black belt. Uh, he, he's a fighting prodigy. Anyway, there's a video online of him grappling with Ronda Rousey, and you think that he's got the advantage, and she ends up on top of him. And you, I've watched it probably hundreds of times, and I still can't figure out how she does it. Hmm. But she has incredible strength. And uh, there's also a video of her from a season of The Ultimate Fighter, her grappling with Uriah Hall, who was one of the finalists from that season, and she taps him out. And you can tell that he is completely ashamed. He was not going easy on her. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think it's her speed and her power, but she's just a once-in-a-lifetime athlete. Yeah, that's awesome. I I, I will watch every Ronda Rousey fight from here on out. Um, <laughs> It'll take you, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that was, yeah, retrospective. Stretched over the next yeah. however many years. Yeah. Um, and I, and I will continue to shell out $5 at Big Wang's to do it and spend six and a half hours next to uh, an old drunk man who told me about how he used to wrestle in high school, uh, all because it's so incredible just to watch this kind of efficient genius that is Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> um, all right, so thank you, Amy, for coming on The Big Game and talking about uh, the UFC 190 fight. Thank you for having me. This was great. And I just want to give one shout out at the very end here to Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Former WWF Hall of Famer. Uh, He's just the best. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks, Justin. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Big Game. If you haven't yet, subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review if you like what you hear. Drop me a line on Twitter at BigGamePod. And check out our website, biggamepod.com, and listen to all of our past episodes. Hang in there, watch some sports, and check back next week for more of The Big Game.